بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد الکریم اما بعد الحمد للہ چنائٹ از دا تھرٹینتھ آف جنوری ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزینڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری of the illustrious companion, Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu. And yesterday, I mentioned the report in which Anas radiyallahu said, Jalil radiyallahu served me greatly as we traveled together on a journey. And Jalil would himself explain, I have seen the Ansar do great services to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I therefore now humbly serve every person from the Ansar when I see them, in Behaki, Ibn Asakir and other references. So then I mentioned that to appreciate this hadith, you need to have a little connection with his companion, who Anas was referring to, Ai Jarir Ibn Abdullah Al-Bajali, radiyallahu. And yesterday I mentioned that he was a very handsome man. He was unusually large stature in terms of his bones. And he embraced Islam just six months before the Prophet passed away in the month of Ramadan. And the Prophet praised him. He said he has the mark of an angel or authority upon his blessed face. And then I mentioned that the Prophet took a pledge of allegiance from him. And Jareel was told to wish well for every Muslim. And then I mentioned that during his business transactions, he would always benefit his brother more than he himself. So to mention a few other things about this great company. In Tabarani, Hayat al-Sahab of Adim 5, page 163 of the New English Translation. Bukhari in his Sahih, number 3036. Muslim in his Sahih, number 2475. Ibn Katir Sira, volume 4, page 105, relates identically. Sayyidina Jalil radiyallahu said, When I once mentioned to Rasulullah that I could never remain steady on horseback, he placed his hand on my chest until I could actually see the imprint on my chest. He then made the following dua. O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, make him steady. Make him one who is rightly guided and who guides Others are right. Subhanallah, thereafter I never once fell off a horse. So let's look at this. So it's recorded in Tabarani, but virtually identical in Bukhari and Muslim, meaning it's flawless. So he had a problem, Jadid. Now, why did he have a problem? Maybe because of his stature. You know, heavy people, heavy built people, when they are on horses, they struggle. So he had a problem. He asked the Prophet about this, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And look how interesting. The Prophet placed his hands, both his hands on his chest. And he goes, I could see the mark of my chest. So what does that mean? So your guess is as good as mine. So he goes, I could see the imprint. And the dua he made was, make him steady. Make him guide, and guide others through him. So he didn't ask for that. He only asked to be steady on the horse. But the Prophet also made a dua for his guidance and to guide others through him. And look what he said, because I never thereafter even fell off a horse. <laughs> Adding details. In Ibn Abi Shayba, 
Kanzul Omal, Volume 5, page 152. Hayat al-Sahaba, Volume 5, page 163 of the New English Translation. Sayyidina Jalil radiyallahu said, Rasulullah then said to me, Sallallahu alayhi wa Why do you not relieve me of Dhu Khalasa? Dhu Khalasa was a building of the Khat'am tribe and was referred to as the Yemeni Kaaba during the Jahiliyyah. So stop in the report. So he's embraced Islam. The Prophet made a dua for him to keep him steady and also make him guided. Then he told him to deal with this kind of a Kaaba that competed with the Kaaba in Yemen called Dhu Al Khalasa. So Hafiz ibn Kathir, just to add this, he said in his Sida, volume 4, page 107 of the English translation, the temple where Banu Khatam and Banu Bajila would worship, known as the Sudan Kaaba, with which they would rival the Kaaba in Makkah. The Kaaba at Makkah they would refer to as the Northern Kaaba. So it was just obviously stupidity on their part. They thought it was kind of a business. The Kaaba was given prestige to the Quraysh. So we're going to have a Kaaba. And which tribe would go there to worship? Banu Bajila. Don't forget, he was the chief of that tribe. This is why the Prophet told him, why don't you sort that, that temple out? So I said, Ya Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I am a person who cannot remain steady on a horseback. And then the hadith is the same. So what he was saying was, to travel all the way a bike and to do this, I need to be steady. I have a problem. And then the Prophet made that dua. So this is the context. He told him to deal with this temple and he made a dua for him. So what happened? In Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim, Ibn Kathir Sira, volume 4, page 107 of the English translation, Sayyidina Jalil radiyallahu then went to Zoo al-Khalasa with a force of 150 cavalry of his own clan of Ahmas and destroyed and burnt that temple leaving it looking like a manji camel. He then sent back a messenger named Sayyidina Abu Artat radiyallahu to inform the Prophet of the good news When he heard this the Prophet supplicated five times, invoking blessings upon the horses and men of Ahmas. Mm. So here in another flawless report, 150 men joined him and he destroyed the temple. Obviously he was the chief, so there shouldn't have been a problem anyway. And he described it like a manji camel, meaning completely smashed up. Mm. When he sent a messenger back, Abu, Ar- Abu Artat, the Prophet made a dua for them the horses and the men of Ahmas, because they were, went to destroy that, that temple. So simply, our beloved Messenger had supplicated specifically for the guidance of this majestic man. It's very important. Whenever the Prophet makes a dua where he says, guide him and guide others, others through him, you know there's going to be fitna. <laughs> Who or which famous Sahaba had a very similar dua to this? Muawiyah. <laughs> The hadith is in Tirmidhi, authentic. The Prophet said, make him a guide, one guide and guide others through him. Muawiyah ibn Abu Sufyan. And of course, that's the beauty of the guidance. Who are the only Muslims on the face of the earth who honor him? The Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. And what did the Prophet say? Guide others through him. That's us. Jareer had the same dua. Remember that. Alas, while Sayyidina Jareer was still in Yemen, our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa left the troubles of the mortal world. Mm-hmm. Sayyidina Jalil was greatly pained over hearing this news. 
and he immediately rode all the way back to Al Madina to pledge his allegiance to the noble successor Abu Bakr Siddiq. So think about that. He only had six months. He did his task. He wasn't expecting this, right? And then all of a sudden, devastation. Why does he go all the way back? That's showing his sincerity. He wants to go to give his pledge to the Khalif, who was the Khalif Abu Bakr. It is related that during the early phase of Umar radiallahu's glorious reign, Sayyidina Jarir radiallahu together with Muthanna, rahmatullahi, thereupon led a victorious army, defeating the powerful imperial Persian forces, which later became known as the Battle of Bowel. So putting it very simply, how were the Persians smashed? <laughs> the first wave was Khalid bin Walid. You know, he humiliated them. <laughs> then he was called over to the Roman front. The second wave was Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas. This was before all that. <laughs> the first wave or the first phase was this one. And who was in this phase? Jarir. And a very famous Mujahid called Muthanna. After their defeat, the Persians remobilized and in the year 15 AH, a large Muslim army now under the command of Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas headed towards Qadisiyah for a decisive encounter. When Sa'ad reached Iraq, he found that Muthanna had passed away on account of the wounds he had received at the Battle of Bowib. So Muthanna, he was a very righteous man. He mentioned a few things. He was the one who put the idea into Abu Bakr's heart. He goes, we can strike the Persians. We will strike them and we pull back. He goes, we're quick. They don't know where we're coming and where we're going. We know the desert better than them. So Muthanna put the initial idea into Abu Bakr's heart. And he was so noble, even though he had a, you know, he was a nightmare for the Persians. Other people were always made the Amir over him. Why? Because he wasn't a Sahaba. But he was very humble, even though he didn't you know, use the card. Well, I was the one who put this suggestion. He humbly served others. And he was martyred after the battle of Bowe. So Sa'ad now enters. Jarir, the commander of the station Muslim forces, now humbly came under the command of Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas. So what happened? Muthanna passes away. Who becomes the commander? Jarir. Yair ibn Abdullah al-Bajari. Sa'ad comes. He goes under the command of Sa'ad. Against the 20,000 Muslims, the Persians had mobilized a force of around 200,000 men under the leadership of Rustum, one of their most brilliant commanders. This is in Hakim and his Mustadrak, volume 3, page 451. Al-Bidaya, volume 7, page 40. Tabri in his tarikh, Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 1, page 391 of the New English Translation. So what's the odds? 10 to 1. For every one Muslim, there's 10 Persians. In short, the odds were heavily against the believers. But by the grace and mercy of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after a severe four-day battle, the believers were ultimately victorious. So obviously, I don't want to go through all this again. We went through Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas's life, I don't know, a few moons ago. We went through it in detail. There was a severe battle of four days. Eventually, Allah gave victory to the believers. Who was in that battle? Jadil. So now what do you notice? He's on the battlefield. Six years later, in 21 AH, came another decisive battle against the formidable Persians at Nihawand. 
who once again participated in this campaign. It was truly an intense encounter. But the believers once again were ultimately victorious by the grace and mercy of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it came at a heavy price for many notables were blessed with martyrdom including the commander Nu'man ibn Ma'aqadin and the notables Amr ibn Ma'adi Qarib and Tulayha. So who are these people? Again, job logs, job logs, job logs. <laughs> so, Ba'al ibn Hawan was a, another huge battle. Many were martyred. So these person, one was a Sahaba, Nu'man ibn Ma'akad. The other two, they were apostates who, who came back into Islam. So how great were these two? Muhammad ibn Salam Baykindi, rahmatullahi he said, Sayyidina Umar wrote to Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas and he said to him, I shall now reinforce you with 2,000 men. They are Amr ibn Ma'adi Qarib and Tulayha. This is in Tabarani, Al-Haytami in Majma' Al-Zawaid, volume 5, page 319. He comments upon the chain of narratives. Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 2, page 433 of the New English Translation. So think about that. When Sa'ad heard the initial sentence, he thought, Mashallah, 2,000 men. Only two men came. So what was Umar saying? These men are equal to a thousand. And who were the two? Amr ibn Ma'adakarib, who was martyred in that battle, and Tulayha, who was martyred in that battle. Amr ibn Ma'adakarib was a seasoned warrior who had recently fought most bravely in the battle of Yarmouk against the Romans. And Tulayha was the infamous false prophet who had by now sincerely repented. He actually was a false prophet. Well, then he came around. I mentioned a f- narration about it. So, obviously, Shaitan got to him. And then uh, there's a battle against Khalid bin Walid. And as the battle's taking place, Tuliha is in his tent. So, a man came to him and he says, What's Jib- Has Jibril come to you yet? So, Tuliha goes, No, he ain't come yet. So, then the person goes, starts fighting, comes back after a while, he goes, Has he come now? He goes, no, he's not arrived yet. When he comes back the third time, he goes, oh, yes, he's come. So what did he say? He said that something about the, the grinding of the mill. He said something like this. And then the man goes, you're a liar. You're an imposter. He told his entire tribe, leave. He goes, he's a liar. And then what happened? The whole front collapsed. Then the people who were sincere to Tulayha, they came. He goes, what do you want? What should we do, O Prophet of Allah? He goes, do what I do. He jumped on his horse and he fled. So what sort of a prophet is this? So Tulayha, alhamdulillah, he later repented. But when he repented, he had a problem. He thought, Umar is going to kill me. So first he repented and he waited for Abu Bakr to do the Hajj. I think he was doing the Hajj or he was in the, around the Kaaba. Abu Bakr ignored him because <laughs> he was soft. <laughs> he said, mashallah, he's embraced Islam. <laughs> Umar didn't. <laughs> When he came to Umar, Umar radiallahu anhu said, I'm never going to love you. And he goes, why? He goes, you martyred two companions. And he mentioned two of them. And then he goes, why are you sad over that? He goes, with my hand I took him to paradise. And alhamdulillah, they didn't kill me, otherwise I would have gone to hell. So Umar then says to him, he goes, do you still get revelation? So Tulayha goes just uh, goes from the bellows. And he was very eloquent. What he was basically saying was, when you get 
the car. <laughs> because he comes every now and again, but it's just wind. And then Umar didn't know how to reply to him. He just ignored him. But he was sincere. But now look what's happened. Umar had great veneration for him. He now equaled him to a thousand men. So let's look at Amr ibn Ma'adikarib first. So what happened? In Dawlabi, Al-Isaba, volume 3, page 18, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 2, page 306 of the New English Translation, Abu Salib ibn Wajih, rahmatullah said, The battle of Nahawind took place in the year 21 AH, five years after Qadisiyah. And the Muslims were initially being defeated when Nu'man ibn Ma'akarin was martyred, Amr ibn Ma'adikarin, then resumed the fight on that very day until subhanallah he had transformed the defeat into a glorious victory however he received a serious wound during that encounter it incapacitated him until he passed away in the village of Rauda mm-hmm. so what happened it was a serious encounter the sahaba commanders martyred Amr ibn Ma'adikarib he turned the tables. He was a seasoned warrior, but he paid with it for his life. And he passed away in the village. So, this is how serious that encounter was. Tulayha, rahmatullah also fell as a martyr during this encounter. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon both Amr ibn Ma'adikarib and Tulayha and forgive us all for their honorable sake. Amen. Now, what's strange about this? When you actually go through the apostasy wars, you, if you're listening carefully to the scholars, they'll start saying this. Tulayha, the false prophet. May Allah have mercy on him. And the, you're listening, thinking, did I hear right? What did the, what did the shaykh you say? And then he goes, Amr ibn Ma'adikarib, the apostate. May Allah have mercy upon him. Because they, they, they're basically protecting you. Because you, they stop you from having a negative image. Because they know the end state. Have you understood? Just like in the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Hind. When Hind opened up Hamza's body and she chewed part of his liver, I believe, the, com- the Shaykh still say, May Allah be pleased with her. So when you hear it, it sounds very strange. Because Hamza, may Allah be pleased with him. His stomach was ripped open by Hind. May Allah be pleased with her. She chewed his liver. May Allah be pleased with her. And then you're thinking, What's-? because they're protecting you. Why? Because obviously she later embraced Islam. So here you have to be careful. Both of those became great people. And who was in this encounter? Jarir ibn Abdullah al-Bajali. So note, he was in the major encounters against the formidable Persians. So, this is during Umar's Khalifa. During Uthman radiyallahu's blessed reign, the venerable Khalif appreciated and recognized the services rendered by Sayyidina Jarir for the cause of Islam. He appointed him the governor of Hamadan in Yemen. So what's happened? Obviously, prodigies of valor, seasoned warriors, they deserve honor. So Uthman made him the governor of Hamadan. And the Prophet prayed for that place. Peace be upon Hamadan. So now Uthman's made him the governor there. And what's interesting, he's from Yemen. It's not a strange place to him. There then came the much troubled Khalifa of Ali, radiallahu in which tragically, ultimately, civil war broke out for the first time amongst the believers, known later as the Battle of the Kama. Thereupon, after the tragic Battle of the Kama, Ali sent Jarir, radiyallahu, with a further messenger to Muawiyah. So look, interesting. 
You've now got the tragic Khilafat of Ali, where civil wars breaking out. The battle of the Kamal has taken place. Ali is still trying to bring peace. Who does he send as a messenger to Muawiyah? See, this is the problem. Now you know who he is. Did he send Jadir? Yes. Otherwise, he sent your blogs. Where's the proof? Al-Bidayah 7-265 with the Sahih chain of transmission. It mentions Sayyidina Jarir ibn Abdullah al-Bajali radiyallahu he said Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen radiyallahu I will go to him for between us is friendship and amity and I shall take the pleasure of allegiance from him for you. So look what Jarir said he offered his services he's Amir al-Mu'mineen Ali radiyallahu he goes I have a great friendship with Muawiyah and he goes, if I go, inshallah, I will get the pledge of allegiance. Malik al-Ashtar, he thereupon said, do not send him, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, for I fear he is overconfident. So stop in the report. He's here again. How may Malik al-Ashtar, you know, the deviant, you know, it's, now think about that. Even at this point, you think, oh, no, is he, what's he saying, huh? Look, what's he putting his nose into things for? Because he's overconfident. I don't trust him. So Ali radiallahu told Malik al-Ashtar, leave Jareel. And he sent him with many letters informing Muawiyah radiallahu of the gathering of the Muhajirun and the Ansar in offering the pledges of allegiance as well as what had taken place in the battle of the Kamu. He invited him now to enter into that which the people had entered into. When he had finished, he gave it to Jarir ibn Abdullah, who handed it over upon arrival. So what's in the letter? He, he's got letters from the Sahaba. Because we've pledged allegiance to Amir al-Mu'mini. So basically proving that, look, the matter settled. The senior Sahaba have pledged. And you should also now join. And Jarir, when he went to Damascus, he gave it to Muawiyah personally, the letters. Hazrat Muawiyah looked at the letters, he thereupon sought counsel from Amr ibn al-As, his right-hand man, and the chiefs of the people of Sham, and they refused to pledge allegiance until the murderers of Uthman were killed or handed over. They then mentioned that if Ali did not hand over the murderers of Uthman, they would fight him and refuse to pledge allegiance until he had killed them. So what happened? Hazrat Muawiyah, he consulted. And the people of Sham goes, no chance. Because Uthman's blood has not been, there's no vengeance. We have a right. If Hazrat Ali hands over the murderers, we will be the first to pledge. If not, we will take him to task. Jarir radiallahu seeing the scenario, he returned disappointingly to Ali. He came back and he was really upset thinking, it's not happening. Informing him of what had happened. Malik al-Ashtar thereupon said, Did I not tell you, Amir al-Mu'mineen, not to send Jalil? Only if you had sent me, whilst the door was open, but now it's closed. So Malik al-Ashtar, he basically said, You sent the wrong man. Should have sent me. Because I would have got the pledge. Jareel was angered and he remarked, if you had gone, they would have killed you over the blood of Uthman. 
Now, what did he mean by that? Because he was responsible. Malik al-Ashtar was one of the people who caused problems for Uthman. So Jalil just basically took his you know, pants off. He goes, you go. <laughs> he goes, you know, and look how brilliant his knowledge. You know, he knew that Hazrat Ali had kept him. But he knew that Amir al-Mu'mineen knew about his history. But there was political expediency for him to be with Ali. So Jalil basically goes, you would have been killed instantly. Malik al-Ashtar ignored Jalil and he said, if you or Ali send me, Muawiyah's answer would not have been sufficient. I would have quickly overcome his hesitation. And if he had complied with me in regards to you, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, I would detain you, O Jalil, and those like you, until the affairs of the Ummah are rectified. So what did he mean? So Malik al-Ashtar, he was saying, it was due to the weak personalities like Jalil that were in this mess. That's what he was saying. So what he was saying to Amir al-Mu'mineen, he goes, I'll sort him out. And he goes, then we'll sort him out. Sayyidina Jalil radiyallahu thereupon stood up angrily and made his way to Kirtisa and he wrote to Hazrat Muawiyah radiyallahu informing of what he had said and what had been said to him. Hazrat Muawiyah then wrote to him instructing him come to Sham where you will be honoured as is your due but he politely declined. So Hazrat Muawiyah was really upset because is this how they treat the company of the Prophet and he goes, come to me. <laughs> and look at Jadir. He politically asked you. He goes, no. Goes, May Allah bless you, but I don't want to cause any further fitna. So to wrap up, alas, the deviant Al-Ashtar was the reason for the distancing of the noble companion, Jarir ibn Abdullah, who was the governor of Kirqisa and other areas, as well as the head of the Bajila tribe. And his comments forced him to part with the venerable Amir al-Mu'mineen, Sayyidina Ali. Mm. So look how tragic it was for Ali. He goes, these fools are taking my, they're basically cutting me open. I've lost Jalil. And he knew about Jalil. Obviously, Zahab knew. What did Malik know about Zahab? He was responsible for Uthman's murder. Right? Forget about Jalil. So basically, you see that the deviancy have that common denominator. What's the common denominator? They don't know who the Sahaba are. In fact, they think ill of the Sahaba. They don't, they're weak. They don't know what they're doing. But who are you? Where have you popped out from? Right? So note, it was him, another one of his endless disasters. He caused Jareer to separate from Sayyidina Ali. Sayyidina Jareer just, le- just left Kufa along with his family during the night and went to Kirkisa and he settled down there for good. He kept neutral. He didn't want to get involved now. Thereafter, he did not participate in any political affair, but remained loyal to Amir al-Mu'mineen, Sayyidina Ali. So what happened? Completely neutral. But, he goes, Amir al-Mu'mineen, he's on the hook. He would be fully with Hazrat Ali radiallahu. The angelic companion had said, I never saw Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa except he would smile at my face and he said, I shall show you all from this door a good man from those of Yemen. Upon his face is like that of an angel. <laughs> this is in Sayyid Muslim, number 2475. But what did the damned Al-Ashtar and ignoramuses know about the magnificent companions of Rasulullah? <laughs> so now how does that relate to us? 
the, the huge lesson is we need to be acquainted with the Sahaba. <laughs> what happens? You are not acquainted with the Sahaba, you deviate. <laughs> so we're looking into this thinking, yeah, look how deviant he was. Well, hang on a minute. What caused his deviancy? <laughs> what was the root cause? He didn't know who Sahaba was. Ask yourself the question, do you know who Sahaba <laughs> Right? If you don't, then what's protecting you from becoming a deviant? <laughs> so no, this is the beauty. And look, remember the Dua of the Prophet. Make him a guide, guide others through him. So question, do we love Jareel 100%? Is he upon guide 100%? Do we follow him 100%? Who was he with? Ali 100%? The Dua of the Prophet. Muavi, was he on Haq 100%? Because the Prophet said it. Why did they end up fighting? Sharia. <laughs> There was a Shariah reason for it. Now that's how we look into the whole affair. Unfortunately, others say no. They look into it too much and they end up digging their own trench. Astaghfirullah. So all I mentioned again today was again a little connection with the great Sayyidina Jalil ibn Abdullah al-Bajili. Why? Because this great man, who did he serve? See, now you, 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 get, you start to realize the weight of what that meant. He served. Who did he serve? Anas. And all of a sudden you realize that was a tremendous honor. But you can only appreciate that if you know who Jareed is. And that's why I'm going through a very short biography of this great companion. So you get a connection with who this great noble person was. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Subhanallah <laughs> <laughs>